comic book informer. Kind of like New York sliced pizza. You know, shallow, thin, tasteless. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Informer versus All Comics Considered, the episode we've been planning for quite a while on Civil War. We've all sat down, we're all ready, finally, to talk about this movie as well as the comic book and how it ties in and whatnot. We've got myself, we've got Vince, Marty, Hannah, Nick, and Tim. Old steve couldn't make it, so well, sucks to be him. We will have fun without him. And we are going to be covering a hell of a lot here, obviously... Spoiler warning, I'm only going to say this once, and it applies to both episodes. You're going to be starting off with us and then going to All Comics Considered to download the second part of this episode. We're spoiling all the things, we're giving our opinions, we're going to bitch about it, we're going to rant, maybe fawn a little bit. There might be some fan fiction if Hannah wants to read some of the stuff that she's written, we'll see. So let's start right with... The hype train going in and out. This is something that we discussed on All Comics Considered last week when I was hosting. And we kind of talked about what our expectations were for going into the show and what we were expecting. So just briefly, how did you feel going in and how did you feel going out? Marty, we'll start with you. So, well, first of all, thanks for having us all. And uh, I hope that this acrimony between our two shows at least goes to a Cold War sort of level. Um, I walked in the movie theater apprehensive because I saw a one-line issue that somebody brought up. But um, the hype train delivered for me. Like, I was very satisfied with the movie. I was, like, it's the first time where the hype train did not fail to deliver with the possible exception being with the force awakens. So it was spot on perfect for me. Okay. Vince going in, I was a little apprehensive as far as how much of it was going to be a cat movie and how much of it was going to be an Avengers movie, but I was regardless expecting it to be a hell of a lot of fun and it delivered on that part. And I'm still kind of parsing the rest of it. Okay. Hannah. I went pretty excited. Obviously, Marty and I have been talking up a ton about how much both of us were looking forward to it. Um, I had a couple of apprehensive, a couple of things I was a little nervous about, but coming out of it, I was really, really happy with it. Um, I got into a fight with a friend I saw it with almost immediately, <laughs> in which we did come to the understanding that it wasn't Civil War, but I'm perfectly okay with that. I thought you were going to say you came to blows. <laughs> I was kind of thinking, how uh, she appropriate. Did, she did actually hit me. She, <laughs> she beat me with her hat. Um, but it was Megan hit you? Oh, yeah. She beat me with her hat. She it was, had a beanie oh, on. Probably well-deserved. Let's be honest. No, it's it was the a real big, Civil War. Her husband was sitting in between us, so mostly she just elbowed him in the chest, like, a lot. So, you know, it worked out to my end anyway. All right, Tim, what about I'm you? I'm disappointed my internet friend. I went in uh, neutral, uh, as I do with almost every movie. I had no expectations. I avoided most spoilers and, and trailers, and I came out being grinning ear from ear. But that was fantastic. Okay. Nick? Uh, I got exactly what I was expecting. Really? Yeah. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? That's not saying a lot, good. because when we were talking on last week, you were pretty yeah. apprehensive about certain things. Uh, I, I was, uh, and I, I got exactly what i was expecting but 
uh, also what I was expecting is that uh, I was going to see a fast, uh, a fantastic Captain America three movie. Right. Uh, I just didn't see a Civil War movie, and that's okay because the movie I saw was awesome. Right. Right. And I actually would agree with you in that because, well, again, we talked about that on on that last episode and going in and especially as someone who had read the Civil War event and especially as someone who had reread it recently, which most of us probably did. It really was almost immediately noticeable that we're not really watching a Civil War. So once you completely let go of that. And then just run with what the movie is. It makes it a lot easier to deal with. I found especially. Let's talk first about the important new characters that we got in here. So we'll start with Black Panther, which I thought was absolutely spectacular. Second only to Spider-Man for me. So I thought that the casting for Black Panther with uh, Chadwick was brilliant. You want to talk about a dude with an amazing voice. Holy Christ. And Mm -hmm. he stole every scene that he was in. And it wasn't by being loud and brash and out there, but rather just this controlled power in everything that he did. And I thought that was phenomenal. Vince, what did you think about his casting? Oh, yeah, delivered on every level like like you said like civil war like especially in the comic was all about everybody's character turned to 11 and we needed someone like him who had that calm demeanor throughout the film even though we knew you know inside he wasn't calm but he always portrayed himself as such and i think it's phenomenal how he got an entire character story arc completely establishing him for his solo film in you know a small amount of screen time relatively that's actually one of the things that I was listening to some interviews with some of the writers, the screenwriters for it as well. And they were saying how because of the history now with the films, because there's like 13 of them before this, it's not just the comic book fans that are caught up to date and don't need the origin stories anymore. Pretty much everybody is ready to roll with it. Even I I saw this a couple of times myself as well. And I watched it the second time with my wife and she has no history with the comic books, but she's watched all of the movies with us. And so even though she didn't know some of the characters like black Panther, it was done so well that she was immediately boom on board. She gets it. Don't need an origin story. And I think that that's actually one of the strongest things in this film, in the manner in which it was written, same with Black Panther as well as with Spider-Man. And again, we talked about this as well um, last week on ACC, and we were talking about Spider-Man and the need for, or no need for, yet another origin retelling. I thought that that was done spectacularly well with Spider-Man, where it's, boom, you just jump into the story. There's a few mentions made of who he is and things like that. And that's it. What did you think, Nick? Clearly black Panther was one of the most successful characters in the movie, uh, you know, in a, in a fantastic film. Uh, the actor just conveyed gravitas, uh, on screen in a way that we haven't seen in a, a long time. I mean, he was sort of a, you know, young Sidney Poitier level of gravitas, the immediate bond and, 
sort of spark that they show between his father and him. I mean, they established that, that whole relationship in, I don't know, six seconds on screen. Like his father's on screen for maybe, maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds. And you feel passionate about it when he dies. That's impressive storytelling. And if they sold that jacket that he was wearing in the last scene, I would pay a lot of money for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You're right though, in terms of how much they were able to accomplish in a very short period of time. Part of that is very good writing. Part of it is also being able to entice amazing actors because it's Marvel now. Yet another thing that those screenwriters, it was Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely who were saying how because of the power that Marvel has now, which they've earned, they can approach phenomenal actors and actresses and say, listen, there's not a lot here. It's literally going to be a day of shooting. You're not going to be on screen for very long, but we're going to make sure that we do right by you and it's going to be good. And people jump at it. And those few scenes between uh, King T'Chaka and T'Challa were phenomenal and so emotional in such a short time frame. And then going back to Spidey, though, again, this is Hannah. We were talking about this as well. Like, what did you think about how they worked with Spidey right from the get go? Let alone the casting, but just talking about how the character was handled right from boom you don't need an origin story this is this is happening i loved it i it was perfect um it was exactly what i was hoping for because i know everybody is tired of seeing uncle ben die yeah and that was whenever i talked to anybody not even just comic book fans this is how well you know that it's really sunk into like that pulp culture uh hive mind at this point is that even people who weren't into comics were like i'm so glad we didn't see his uncle die again like that's how well known it is So it was the perfect way to handle it. It gave just enough illusion to with great power comes great responsibility, but they didn't actually even have to say the word. We all said them in our heads. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then in terms of the, the actual actor, this is something again that we had talked about. I was really worried about um, the actor and how he would portray the role. He stole the show. He, every scene he was in, he was the best part of the movie for me, which is actually saying a lot because I thought quite highly of the movie. And he just, I mean, he got Peter Parker. He's the first actor that we've seen on the screen that really got Peter Parker. He's a kid from Queens. And you you don't realize that every other show you've watched, the the actors playing them, A, are teenagers – they don't have that same level of teenage geekiness kind of thing. And they also don't sound like they're a kid from Queens. And here you have this, this British actor (laughs) who's (laughs) nailing a freaking Queens accent to the point where later on in the story, Steve recognizes it. And you have that moment where he asks him where he's from. That was brilliant. Did you guys catch the little slam at the Sony Spider-Man movies uh, that they had there? 
No. Uh, the very first time that we see Peter on screen under his arm, he's holding that DVD player he yes. pulled out of the trash. The very first time that we see Peter on screen in the uh, Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, he's holding a skateboard under his shoulder, which everyone was like, why the shit is Peter Parker <laughs> carrying a skateboard? He's not cool. Why did you guys make him cool? That's absurd. And so I love how the Russo brothers were like, no, 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 no. We understand Peter Parker. He's not going to have a skateboard because it's Peter Parker. He'd fall off a skateboard. Even with his spider powers, he'd still fall off a skateboard. So Mm -hmm. they gave him the appropriate prop, and it was spectacular. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. This is the first time we saw Peter Parker as a young engineer. Yes. He really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like about that. Spider shooters. He, you know, adapted dark glasses for his super spidey vision, which apparently now all the senses are, you know, enhanced. The only Um, thing that I didn't like was the dumpster diving and he's got like a Mac, an old Mac. It's like, (laughs) what is he, time travel dumpster diving in the 80s? Because that wouldn't be what he'd be finding. (laughs) That was a poor choice on the prop department's uh, (laughs) job right there. So I didn't mind that. I didn't care. I had one problem with Peter's part just all told, and I think that it would have been a little bit too much for how much they actually had the actor, because obviously Spider-Man was not exactly a last thought, but it was so up in the air and like he was brought in as the movie was filming. So I understand that they couldn't shove too much in here, but I really wanted Cap to talk him into being on a different side in their scene together. Cause that was one thing that was, I think pretty important in civil war was Peter's turn, uh, turn around from being on Tony's side to being on Cap's side And I think they were really building up to it. And I wanted to see Captain America have that moment where he got to give an impassioned plea or a speech, kind of like we got at the end of Cap 2. But Um, see, that means that you were hanging on to the comic book event and comparing it to that. Yeah. A little bit. Um, But I felt that that scene was also building it up because he was like, it just kind of, it didn't exactly lead anywhere. I loved their interaction about New York. That was great. But it was just, nope, Tony said that you'd say that. And then it kind of fell flat. So I just wanted a little bit more there. What were you going to say, Marty? Um, That's one of the things I have. I don't have an issue with. Yes, this movie is not the panel-for-panel recreation of Civil War that could never have happened, just given all the licenses, right? But if we focus too much on that switch, it doesn't... It's, like, the weak Captain America parts of the movie, which, by that I mean, it's more Avengers 2.5, for the record, also better than Age of Ultron. Um, Focusing on that dynamic takes us away from the rest of the movie and it becomes more of Peter's story than it's Cap's story. And we're already pulling out a lot of places to showcase the development of Vision and the Scarlet Witch and and then Black Panther, who I really want to keep talking about because Mother <laughs> gets a whole goddamn mini arc, including a redemption thing, and saves the only Marvel villain to actually survive a movie, other than Loki. Um, but I think that particular Spidey switching... We, we got his origin story in this movie, and we will see fallout from Civil War in Homecoming. Yeah. That's, I'm going to predict that now. I think that's when we're going to see what that is, because there are two Avengers teams now, and there is a, there's a huge gulf between our teams. And I would not be surprised if Spidey doesn't change in Homecoming. 
See, I'm not I, expecting them to follow what's happening in or what has happened in the comic books. And it really helped me enjoy the movie a lot more, especially on second viewing, because my first viewing, I had quite a few issues with it because of that. And because of mainly one big thing, which I'll get to later on, but one big thing that, that irked me and still kind of irks me a little, though admittedly not as much, but once you let go of that and don't care anymore about who's on what team, I find it, it, makes it a lot easier to deal with and appreciate what's going on. Actually, Nick, you wanted to talk about T'Challa again a little bit too in the comparison with Tony. Oh, Nick did, but I think Hannah had something she really wanted to say. Yeah, I just, I wanted to touch real quick on something Marty said. Um, So I I was one of the first people to say, like, don't expect this to be panel for panel from the comics. And I totally agree with that. Once you kind of let go of that expectation, it becomes an even better movie. And I thought it was a great movie, all told. Uh, But, Marty, I disagree that I don't think that would have been too Peter Parker centric if we would have had that switch. I specifically wanted to see that because I wanted to have Cap talk a little bit more about why he thought he was in the right and have him have a chance to actually have a little bit more of a monologue because Steve had very, very few lines in this movie. And I think that worked. Like I think him being fairly stoic throughout most of this movie worked really, really well. But I also really loved those parts of uh, first Avenger and winter soldier where he got that chance to be Mm -hmm. the captain America that talks about stuff. Yeah. But that's what I wanted out of that scene. Okay. Okay, But I think that what you wanted was for cap to have that moment with, an existing Spider-Man who'd been in the, the the Marvel Universe for quite a while, as opposed to a teenage kid who's only been doing his gig for six months in nope. relative anonymity. Nope. Like, No, I love the idea of Captain America talking to an impressionable youth. That's what I, I think, want. I want to see Captain America talk to an impressionable youth. I think it could actually... I think if the whole point of the movie... And maybe I'm, I'm maybe my reading of the, the whole quote unquote point of the movie, um, I'm wrong on this, but I think if it was a different, if it was a little bit different with the ending, that scene could have worked um, and been very powerful. But just given the whole arc of the movie, I'm not entirely convinced that that would work. That being said, you know, I, I totally agree with you on this, um, but I just I feel like it would it would not have worked as well given the rest of what we see after we see at the battle at the airport. I have to agree with Marty as much as I don't like Whoa. to do that. I, I have to agree <laughs> yeah, with him on that one. I got a question and an observation. Uh, one, I'm super, super glad to finally get a, a backstory of how Peter Parker gets his Spidey suit. That makes sense. No, <laughs> yes. the other movies made sense where he got this really awesome costume. That pretty so, much applies to any superhero outfit, as far as I'm concerned. For most people, unless you're Stark, sure, because most people can't afford you know, to. A Sixteen-year-old. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so finally, thank you, thank you for that, Disney and Marvel. I still didn't um, like the costume though. <laughs> the costume's fine. <laughs> the eyes were amazing. The eyes were amazing. Steve Ditko um, eyes, they were great. They were fantastic. And and here's here's a question for everyone. The scene where the UN worker talks to Tony and uh, you know, railroads him and shows him a picture of her son who, who got killed. If that scene got swapped out and instead of Tony, Steve was there, 
Do you think he would have been more pro-registration? No. no. I don't. No. You, you think he would have been unaffected by that? I don't know. There's oh, a big difference between affected. Go ahead, Vince. Yeah, he he, de- he would have been affected, but I think he would have taken the more uh, – like commander approach, you know, him being the leader of mm-hmm. you know, driving the team to be better. But I don't think he would have gone with the pro registration side still. That was too much of a uh, a personal thing for him that with just a uh, – God, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was too much of a, an ethical matter for Steve that I, I don't think he would have changed his stance on the registration and the Sokovia Accords. But I think it would have changed his character absolutely. But again, I'm he's a soldier sure too. I'm not sure that I agree with that. Actually, <clears throat> I uh, in the comics, uh, the thing that <clears throat> finally draws Steve back and and sort of makes him uh, stop fighting is when he realizes how his ethical stance is affecting the people around him in a practical sense. So, I mean, that scene was almost exactly uh, the same, like. Uh, uh, message as the you know f- the the ending scene from the the actual comic event. So I think that could have had uh, you know uh, the clearly the effect of reversing Steve's position. I totally disagree with you there, Nick. I just like yeah, it's the same thing. But in the comic book event, that's after everything has happened, right? And so when he finally took takes a look at what he has created. He's like, I can't. This is this is not what I'm standing for. This is not what it is. It's not Captain America that's doing this. That's Steve Rogers. And he pulls himself out, turns himself in, and then we all know what happens next. But I think Steve, I mean, he had this that he had a similar conversation with the Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. after she is taking it very, very difficultly after she threw crossbones up and killed 13 people. And I think that's like Steve saw that and in the end, like he blamed that more on crossbones than on Wanda. So and on himself I, as well. And on himself. And I think I just don't think that if he was approached by that, um, I thought she was a, uh, a secretary of state, whoever that 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 person was, who is also an amazing actress, and her name Alfred is Woodard. escaping. Was it Alfred Woodard? Um, yeah, it was just a beautiful thing, but that needed to be Tony. That could like with Steve, it's just this is what happens sometimes, and this is awful, and we will be held to account for it. But it wouldn't have changed Steve. Yeah, it was ha- Tony's yeah. Tony's whole character arc, especially in the movies, has been his personal uh, story arcs have been based around the results of his actions, be it with his weapon manufacturing or uh, things he's done in the movies. Like, he has shown that as a person, he's the one most likely to change based on what happens around him. And at That's the end he's, of he's the comic event... Oh, sorry. Yeah, he, he was given evidence and he processed it. And at well, the end of the Civil War event, when Steve did um, stop fighting Tony, he didn't reverse his decision. Like he never went back on what he said. He just realized how much damage they were causing, but he exactly did what he still believed. And the other thing too, to keep in mind is just how much Tony has changed since the first Iron Man. And it was in rewatching the Avengers and, and, and again, watching different things online about this as well, where I could appreciate a little bit more. And we talked about it as well again last week, where a lot of things changed with Tony over the years based on different things. But what really cinched it for me was 
seeing him going through PTSD because of what happened in the Avengers and how much that changed him and how it still has an impact on him. And we got to see that when he was talking about his relationship or lack thereof with Pepper. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty powerfully done, very subtle when he's at MIT doing his presentation. And then later on when he's having his, pre- his, his talk with Cap and he's talking about it. And you realize, again, just how much of an impact the, the, the Iron Man life has had on him. And that's the reason why I feel he's far more willing to change and adapt and, and allow himself to be subjugated by a government or a UN panel. Mm-hmm. Well, I just had an insight. I just realized when he was talking uh, to Steve about being Iron Man – he was talking about addiction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I don't want to change. I'm, this is fantastic. You know, this is fun. It's, it makes me feel great. And he was talking about his alcoholism. Right. Essentially. Yeah. And so, the, and so, him reaching out and accepting the government oversight was him going, "Yeah, I, I need help. We yeah. all need help." A lot of it We're is all- different steps that he's gone through as well because of the alcoholism applies to things like this so he can kind of rationalize them together like that recognizing the authority of a higher power which is what step one so that's and, like, uh, yeah. being tony stark if he can't do it alone nobody can so everybody mm-hmm. must need help and i also think like that particular scene is also continues to further the evolution of tony stark so he develops more empathy like he's always this smug bastard and we love him for it and he's he's with each movie incarnation he's developing more and more normal human emotions right well more Um, depth so a lot more depth where to the point when i'm looking at this film i'm thinking well next iron man would be spectacular because if they continue down this path where it's not just him being a smug bastard, but also him dealing with his demons, which we've seen in the comics. But here we're actually seeing it in a much more profound way. I think that that would make for much better storytelling moving forward so that the best parts of that Iron Man movie would be the parts where he's not actually in the suit. Mm-hmm. Let's jump back quickly to T'Challa because, Nick, you had some things you wanted to say. For me the real crux of the movie was not the relationship between Tony and Steve, but instead the parallel between Tony uh, and T'Challa, the, you know, uh, clearly the Steve versus Tony fight uh, is front and center in the film. It's on all of the posters. Uh, And that's sort of the, you know, the, that's the punch you in the face fight for the film. That fight is all about action sequences. Um, you know, the audience is introduced to the idea very quickly that Bucky is innocent and all of this is happening because of the machinations of, you know, Zemo. So it's, you know, there isn't a lot of tension for us there in terms of choosing whether or not to side with, uh, you know, Tony or Steve, our hearts are going to be with Steve because he's fairly clearly in the right, at least as far as, you know, as Bucky is concerned. Uh, but instead, uh, they give us this wonderful parallel uh, between T'Challa and Tony, who are going through the exact same uh, incident in their life. They both believe that uh, Bucky has uh, he killed their parents. And 
we can see that while Tony allows himself to be completely consumed by revenge uh, uh, to the point where, you know, Steve had essentially given up a few moments before and they all they had to do is walk out the door and, you know, slap Zemo in, in some handcuffs and Tony couldn't handle it. Whereas mm-hmm. we see T'Challa uh, able to rise above that and actually save Zemo's life. He saves the life of the man that actually killed his father. He yeah. had some of the best writing as well. And, it, and luckily it was in the hands of a, a, a phenomenal actor because some of his lines, T'Challa's lines were again among the best written in the entire movie. Like when he is talking to Zemo at the end, that scene, some of the lines are just amazing. And it does show you the strength of that character leading to the Black Panther movie coming up. Like seriously getting me more hyped for that than most of the other films that are are due out now. Oh, yeah. I just changed trains. Now my hype train is 100% Wakanda bound. And I am I am going there. And oh, my God, it's just and I think Nick's observation, the minute he said it, I'm like, that is that parallel. I had had missed it. But like, oh, my God, that just brings more depth and more of a kingly presence to and also like. You know, the Black Panther is also the high priest of the Wakandan religion, right? So there is a lot wrapped up in this forgiving one's enemy rising above that moment that just makes, you know, Black Panther, like, you want to make Stephen Strange, which we're not going to talk about that, but he's if he's the Iron Man of the next phase, then clearly Black Panther is the Captain America, is the Steve, no, is the Steve Rogers of the next phase. So I buy that. I, yeah, 100%. Chadwick Bosman was phenomenal lapita nyongo and michael b jordan will be in the black panther movie so uh, i have first class tickets to the train to wakanda hype train and if anybody <laughs> wants to come with i'm buying so let's go okay let's talk about some of the returning characters the obvious one being winter soldier as i made apparent in our <laughs> our episode i'm not a huge winter soldier fan did it work here? Yeah, they made it work and whatnot, but he's still not one of my favorite characters. But they certainly did a good job in in the scenes involving him to the point where the integration with each of the other characters was really, really well handled. And, and mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that at least. I don't think that Bucky cared about Bucky. Mm-hmm. She seems so tepid. Like, um, I, I guess I better run. Uh, I'm conflicted. I'm a kind of a bad guy. I don't know. You know, I didn't feel. Well, see, that's one of the things that I I'm not crazy about him is that he's fairly melodramatic, for for, you know, stringy haired character. It's all the guy liner. <laughs> the only time I cared about Bucky was 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 when he was in the you know VW Beetle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Grinning ear to ear when Steve got a little smoochy face with Agent 13. That scene was uh, priceless, though. Honestly, one of the yeah. best parts of the movie for me was getting to see Steve pal around with his two best friends mm-hmm. and watching Bucky and Sam compete for Steve's attention. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I wholeheartedly agree. One of the best things that I liked about um, Winter Soldier was you get to see from beginning right through till, you know, every single fight, especially when he's going up against Cap. Like, I mean, we've seen through all the Cap movies, including this one, 
just how strong and powerful Cap is. And when he's taking a beating from that arm, he is feeling it and he's flying back. When Bucky <laughs> swings at Spider-Man yes. and he catches it yeah. like it's nothing and looks at it and says, like you got a metal armor. arm? How awesome. And I'm going, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sold it for me. That was like, okay, I'm glad they're both in this. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for me, it was because you're right. I am. am, I'm actually a pretty big Winter Soldier slash Bucky Buchanan uh, fan. I mean, my cat's named Bucky. Um, Seriously? (laughs) Oh, he's a long haired black cat with three legs. So, yes, he's. Okay, got it. We need to get get some cybernetics on that cat stat. (laughs) He also has a tragic backstory, so it's perfect. Um, But one of the things I love. Pardon? He meows in Russian. <laughs> yeah, he had his head stuck in a rat trap, and that's how um, he was oh found, gosh. actually. So he oh. has a tragic. Okay, moving um, on. He, yes. <laughs> no, I want a comic about this. <laughs> <laughs> Who draws? Like, do we know an artist? Because I will totally be down to write a comic book about my cat. I got, I got somebody lined up. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, so one of the things that I really loved about uh, the Winter Soldier about Bucky's story in this movie was that there's been a great evolution of his interaction with the rest of the MCU through first Avenger winter soldier into civil war. Um, You know, in first Avenger, we see him interacting with people as Bucky Buchanan. You see him, uh, excuse me, as uh, Bucky Barnes, you see him interact with Steve when Steve is still that skinny kid. You see him with the howling commandos. You see him interacting with Hydra. You see him die in winter soldier. He comes back as the winter soldier and he basically, only really interacts with Steve like he only has actual character interactions with Steve and he just fights Sam and Natasha and he's told what to do by Hydra in Civil War he comes back and he's part Winter Soldier he's part Bucky Barnes and he's actually developed into a new and different character who gets to interact with way more of the MCU as a person, which we didn't really get to see him as in Winter Soldier at all. And of course, in First Avenger, he was kind of somebody else. So the way that they built up his interactions with people, especially Sam, was just really, really great. And it felt really organic. Like it felt like that's how it should be because you get to see him have those reactions as from both his time as a winter soldier, like when Zemo starts reading the um, brainwashing trigger words. But then you also get to see him act as he would have in the first Avenger where that Bucky part of his personality is around too. So mm-hmm. I, I liked it. What I liked, one of the things that I did like was the friendship was there and you got to see more of it. And it was after Peggy died. And that was Steve's last tie to that time. Mm-hmm. Like Peggy Peggy and Bucky. And so with Peggy gone, now he's really that that bond with Bucky as if it were possible is even stronger for him and that much more important to save. And if if people don't realize that going in, it's a little bit harder kind of thing. But it is definitely something where in once you pick up on that and you realize that it's like, yeah, it kind of really makes sense and it makes for good for good writing. And then there is, of course, Peggy. We didn't get to see Peggy in this. But again, like 
100 years old, it kind of makes sense that it's time for her to go. And you can see that shift in dynamics then going to her niece. And What did you think about her, Hannah? I liked Sharon Carter a lot more in this movie than I was expecting to. Uh, I still felt that the romance was kind of shoehorned in just because we haven't really had very much interaction between her Mm -hmm. and Steve to see where any of that is coming from. That being said, the scene of their reaction in the VW bug was probably (laughs) the funniest moment Mm -hmm. in the movie. So I'm okay with that. Um, Really, for me, one of the most important scenes in the movie and actually one of the most important scenes so far in the MCU for me was Peggy's funeral for a couple mm-hmm. of different reasons. Um, so as soon as Steve got the text, I started crying because, uh, you know, as you said, she's very old. She was obviously suffering in the last movie and it was not unexpected, but it was still really, really difficult. And especially when you like, there are so few female characters that you can really latch onto in the MCU right now. So to lose one of them, especially with the knowledge that her series just got canceled, um, was really, really heartbreaking. And then like, there's, as I said before, Steve is stoic through a lot of this movie. Like he has some moments where he shows anger towards Tony. Like he obviously feels passionately about things, but through a lot of scenes, he kind of keeps, he kind of keeps his words to himself and he's mostly just taking a lot of action. Um, But the scene where he's her pal bearer, he's crying. His Mm -hmm. eyes are red. He's showing really obvious emotion. And that, you know, that was just a kick in the gut to see because you don't see it from, Captain America that often. I think the the funeral was important too because of that line that she delivers where she's talking about Peggy and, you know, compromise where you can, but where you can't don't and plant yourself like a tree and say, no, you move. And it was that moment that defined for me the split, which mm -hmm. otherwise didn't make enough sense for me. And it was that and the importance of who said it that really made me then believe a lot more just how strongly Steve was fighting for what he believed in. That was the most important moment of not just the movie, but maybe the MCU for me so far. Agreed. Agreed. The the fact that they gave the most iconic speech from the comic book, one of Captain America's most iconic, iconic moments from modern comics the fact that they made that Peggy's words delivered by Sharon, I was absolutely blown away. And it was brilliant because it really was a fantastic way to illustrate how strongly it affected Steve and how important it was to Steve because those were essentially Peggy's last words to him. At the uh, minute. Oh, I'm sorry. Hannah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it was just I, I, I still don't like I don't have quite as much words to articulate how I felt about it because I was already crying. And of course, when that happened, I like put my hand in my mouth to try and stifle my sobs. And yeah, I literally like was like was shaking with I, I was I was crying, but I was also like they managed to put Peggy's the Cap's monologue from Civil War into the movie, remove some of the weird baggage that it's attached to that that panel the malarism of it yeah and give it like peggy's last words to steve are don't compromise where you can but where you can't you know tell the world to move which was beautiful and uh the minute the literal minute the final credit rolled i was on my phone texting hannah 
and uh, our friend Meg, our internet friend Megan, and our buddy Ruben saying like, "Oh my God, they gave her the speech. They gave her the speech. The speech." And like, there's the words aren't there yet either, but just the uh, the amount of emotion generated by Peggy's last words uh, was beautiful. I think that was like such a great touch, a nod to everybody who read the comics, but also just for everybody who's watching the movie, just recognizing how important Peggy Carter was yeah. to the MCU and to Steve. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It particularly works when Peggy, you know, through her uh, niece, deliver the words. Because in, as we watch the, the TV show, it's very, very clear that Peggy is of the utmost, the highest moral standing. Mm-hmm. She can't be corrupted. She's amazing. Um, if anyone else says those exact same words, you can go, well, you could bend them to mean anything. If you're a dictator, you could say those same words and it you know, becomes nothing. Right. Uh, but what's from her, no, it's meaningful. Right. Okay, well, let's move on to another returning character. Vince, one, one of your favorites. What did you think about Ant-Man in this? I, I absolutely loved it <laughs> because, like, he had a slightly larger role than Spider-Man. Like, I actually thought, like, the stuff with him in the prison was actually really cool because, you know, the history of the character and all that. Mm-hmm. But just being, like, you know, when both teams needed an extra guy for the team and the callback to his movie and the stuff with Falcon. Plus, I squealed like a little kid when he turned into giant, giant man because <laughs> a, a lot of people were spoiled on that because apparently the lego set came out with the giant man i didn't know that going in so when he did that either. i was like i, I thought he was now. gonna try like going to the microverse again or something and then he grew to giant man size and i lost it like that was <laughs> one of the highlights of the movie for me i was also extremely pleased with that i saw it coming it just too. because of goliath passed out in the lab <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for him to get a lightning bolt through the chest. <laughs> oh, oh, but knowing that he has a sequel coming up, we, we that wasn't as likely. After the movie, I had a, a brief insight because I have those, and it blew me away. Check out the name Ant Man. Yeah, it's oh, Giant Ant Man, and then put G I in front of yeah. it. Oh my God, it's a play on words. <laughs> Ant Man and Giant Man are the same name. That scene too with him and Spider Man. Oh yeah, where Wait, he's that old movie on the eyes. That was amazing. Yeah, when he's making the jokes though about Star Wars, and you're kind of like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm I'm starting to feel old here for Christ's <laughs> sakes. But well, we look at it from Peter's point of view. You know, he was born in you know ninety nine two thousand, so that movie came out. I know years before he was born. I know, so it makes sense. But the fact that they used that to go along with the taking down of giant man, I thought was brilliant. It worked mm-hmm. so Fantastic. bloody well because otherwise you would have had vision doing some sort of magic voodoo, whatever kind of thing when he passed through him. Oh my God. <laughs> I laughed. Oh, I laughed so hard. <laughs> and that was the thing that I loved about that entire fight scene, which you I should have seen the other guy. He was huge. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that entire fight scene was so well done when you're looking at the breadth of characters that they had to deal with, which, yeah, it's nowhere near what was in the comics, obviously, but they still had a lot to deal with. The only thing that I did not like about the fight scene was how even the characters, some of them, weren't taking it seriously, particularly, of course, Hawkeye and Widow. 
And I know they were trying to be cute, but for me, it was like, listen, you're you want us to take this seriously that they're really they're really fighting. You can't make you can still make jokes kind of like Peter and, and Steve and well, Peter and everybody. <laughs> and it yeah. works. But. Don't make it so that they're pulling their punches because that then feels disingenuous to what you're trying to get us invested in. Well, but I, the movie's so smart is that they, they address that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I don't Widow think... And, Widow and Purple Arrow yeah, are playing around and that gets resolved. Purple Arrow? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can see that a lot of them weren't fully committed to that fight, like especially Cap's team, like when the team is put together. Remember, the team isn't put together to fight Iron Man. The team is put together to go chase down the other Winter Soldiers. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. the, that fight was kind of unexpected for guys like Ant-Man or even, you know, Falcon. So I, I can see, especially Hawkeye, too, like I can see to an extent that especially Cap's side wouldn't have been as committed to that fight. And even even on Tony's side, I can see them being more interested in a resolution instead of, you know, okay, time to take these people down. So the fact that it wasn't 100% committed to murdering the crap out of each other, I, I actually appreciated that. I want to jump in here because um, I think I predicted on a show a long time ago that Natasha was going to switch sides, and she did. And so when she and, and Clint are fighting, she's already, like, she's she's not completely sold on Tony, but she's going to do what she thinks is right. But in the end, she's not going to hurt Clint because that just doesn't make sense for her. And at the, and then she knows what the stakes are for these other Winter Soldiers. So, yeah, she does what she needs to do. I think the pulling your punches thing, Natasha wasn't going to – Natasha could have done a lot more damage to Clint. Like I think we can all agree that if <laughs> Natasha really wanted to, Clint would be dead. Um, but she didn't want to do that. The move where she is chasing after the guys with the vial and she jumps up and, like, twists over both of the dudes, that is one mm-hmm. of the most impressive action move, like, single action moves I have ever seen in a movie. What was funny also- for that is that literally uh, maybe a week before I saw the show, I saw a clip of a couple of martial artists in a, a competition, and one of them was a little woman fighting against a guy, and she did just that. She jumped up, wrapped around her legs around his head, and flipped him the fuck over, and it was like, holy crap. So when I saw Widow doing it in the show, I was going, there's no cables there, probably. She probably pulled that off because you can do that, and, and she just nailed it. Also, but... and, and Let's not diminish the fact that Natasha is one of the biggest badasses in the MCU, who also believes that the Dora Milaje that was with the Black Panther at the time would have wiped the floor with her. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, don't oh, fight. I, I don't was fight. ready for that. <laughs> I was like, don't mess with that woman. <laughs> like, they were going to they, they would have uh, warped Natasha to show how powerful um, the Dora Milaje were. And I would have. Ben. Exactly. And, what and they yet, would have done. once again, T'Challa, yeah. as regal, because he's a regal mother, <laughs> put a kibosh on that. But that little grin that he has says it all. <laughs> there, there's like part of him that's thinking, is there a mud bath anywhere here before we start? <laughs> <laughs> you know it's true. I, uh... Now, we also had a couple of important missing characters, notably, and as it's brought up by Ross, Thor and the Hulk. Now, did the movie suffer because of that? Hannah, what do you think? No. 
I don't think that they were necessary to be there. Um, It would have been interesting to see Bruce's reaction to the situation, especially because it would have been nice to see him actually have a stance. I recently Mm -hmm. watched Age of Ultron, and God, he was just so terrible in that movie. He spends the entire movie just getting bullied by Tony and being, like, more passive than he should be. Um, I think that Thor's take on it would have just, like, I think this was a very rooted in the human experience type of mu- uh, type of movie and I don't think that Thor would have empathized with it at all and I think that having like kind of explaining politics and stuff to Thor would have just bogged everything down his his response would have been shut up let's go get some drinks like <laughs> right. we're, we're above mm-hmm. all this <laughs> Mm-hmm. There, have been, there have been many portrayals in the comics where Thor can't stand being um, bossed around by guys in ties. And Hulk doesn't like it either. So it would have been the two most strongest beings in the universe, you know, against you know, B-listers. Caps of B-lister? Super weighted wow. Iron Man size, I'm saying. So it's I mean, yeah, it, it even if you would have put like a Hulk on one side and Thor on the other side, it's still just, I don't think it would have lended any interesting value to the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Except like I said, Bruce might've been kind of interesting. Thor, I think would have been completely extraneous and just been there to been there. Cause he wasn't going to put a lightning bolt through Ant-Man's chest (laughs) as interesting as that would have been. That wasn't going to happen. So I, I thought it would have been nice to have them in because Thor would have been that, Nice tie to the comic book without it being without him being a clone, obviously. And because they'd done so much rewriting and changing from the comic book event, they could still kind of work with it and put him in there in a way that makes sense. And again, uh, going back to not every character has to be in all of the scenes and all that. They could have had both of the characters in at different points. Hell, they could have had just Banner in there and not even the Hulk just having him his presence there and provided a little bit more character development for Bruce as well Ragnarok as played by Liam Hemsworth (laughs) (laughs) maybe I actually okay I take it back I take it back I wish he would have been in the movie I wish they would have put Ragnarok in there I take it back okay and the other noticeable missing element was shield now this was interesting when i was watching the interview with the screenwriters as well because that was brought up and they were saying how difficult it is to coordinate what is going on with the tv with the movies just because what happens on tv is so fast and comes out so quickly as compared to the movie so it's hard for them to coordinate it and whatnot we are seeing fallout from the civil war in shield right now and it and it fits really well because of what's going on with the inhumans but there's literally like i think there's one comment about shield in the entire movie and i think i think some presence should have been in there still even if it's not tying in with the tv show definitely a shield presence should have been there just because of how important they were in civil war but not just in civil war but how important they are in the mcu still and i know that they tried to take away from again the the registration act by making it the sokovia accord so it's the un that's going to control them and not shield but i still think there should have been a shield presence there we should have seen maria hill 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we should have seen. No, I totally agree. It should have been at least Maria Hill. Um, or a, or just a cameo. Was Tony? Wasn't she working for Tony at that point, though? At the oh yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. At the end of Age of because uh, remember, Alpert, it, still working for Tony. there really still is no Shield. <laughs> right. That being said, we know that Maria Hill is still like probably more loyal to Nick Fury than she is to oh, Tony absolutely. Stark. Um, uh-huh. and, but we could have seen her, or you know, a reference to. I mean, because I think part of this is due to the fact that Age of Ultron, Joss Whedon um, ignored what he created when he helped create shield. Right. Like he's on record saying like, Oh no, Phil Coulson's dead in the Avengers universe. It's like, well, you wrote these things. <laughs> you know, he was there. Stop. Josh, stop being a dick. Get your head out of your ass and recognize that Coulson is, is the Tahiti project was to bring him was to bring back an Avenger, which by definition now Coulson qualifies as a secret Avenger. Um, so I think, uh, I think there should have been some S.H.I.E.L.D. presence, but it's also like Vince is totally right. S.H.I.E.L.D. is totally covert again, um, not HYDRA mentioned. But they should have – I think they mentioned S.H.I.E.L.D. in passing being owned by HYDRA um, you know, as a reference to Winter Soldier. But – I mean that's the general presumption throughout the world is that S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA are the same. Yeah. I, I don't know about that. I think that, again – the, yeah, there's mention of Hydra, but if you're going to mention Hydra, there should be a lot more mentioning of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, because the two kind of go hand in hand. And not that, again, S.H.I.E.L.D. is completely gone, because, again, what they're doing with the movies is not just relying on our knowledge of the characters from the movies, but also from the TV shows, so that they can hit the ground running and not have to give backstory. So the fact that, again, there will always be a S.H.I.E.L.D., then... God damn it, Marty, you are so loud. Sorry. What? Jesus. Oh, okay. Sorry. But anyways. Are you through papers? I, he's been doing this for hours. It's driving me nuts. Anyways. If, if, yeah. But I think that there should have been still. It, it didn't have to be a full on helicarriers kind of bullshit, but more references and even whether it was Hill and or Colson or just one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's basically leading up to the scene somewhere in Infinity War where Nick Fury shows up and goes, what the f*** is wrong with you? Although I will say that uh, for a Cap movie, like uh, I think the Cap movies are the one place you can get away with talking about Hydra without also talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. True. This is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, they have been the main bad guys, like, you know, the thread running through all three of the films. So. But in the same vein, you've got mentioning of Peggy and mentioning that she started S.H.I.E.L.D., then mm-hmm. there could have been more tie-ins because it was there. I mean, the question is really how much of the Russo brothers being diplomatic saying, oh, it's just really hard to do. But how much of it is it like the fight between Feige and Perlmutter and like – to be blunt, unfortunately, that it up, you know, like so they've got that mess to deal with, and now, but now that the Russo brothers have the reins of the rest of the of the Avengers franchise, I I think if they can work that out, we'll see more of that. It's just they got to deal with Pearl Mutter, so just fire them, just fire them. <laughs> All right, I'll take the job. We are going to stop this episode here, and. 
you guys need to head over now to All Comics Considered and download part two, wherein we are going to touch on the character that we haven't really even touched on, and that is Zemo. We're going to be talking about the machinations of his plan, everything that went down at the end, whether it was plausible or not, as well as any parting thoughts on the show. So like I said, head to allcomicsconsidered.com, get that second episode, leave us some comments on both sites, and thank you for listening. Bye! Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. <laughs>